0: that I had a home with a second bathroom. Now, for a little bit of context, I grew up in a family of 10 kids where the bathroom, there was a long line to get into the bathroom. And so as I was a kid, I thought the best thing in the world would be having the second bathroom in the house. I could do so much. I could not have to wait for the bathroom. As I've gotten older, it's kind of become a stipulation that whatever house that we land in, at minimum, has to have two bathrooms. Uh, But the older I get, the more I notice that we tend to, to order our lives around our desires, around our wants, around the things that we pursue. From a young age, many of us want to have kids. We want to be married. We want a stable job. We want a career. Or even, when we get hungry and we want food, we eat. The more that we get what we want and we get what we desire the more that we we direct the the order of our lives with that. You see, our, our tendency is to pursue our wants and our desires because our hearts are naturally inclined towards ourselves. We pursue things to make us wealthy, we pursue things to make us healthy, and we pursue things that we want to make us powerful. At this what we see here is that our hearts desire for us to find significance and security in the world around us. And so our desire to find security, our desire to find significance in the world forces us to adapt, to fit in with others. We see that others are happy and we want to be just as happy as everyone else. That person seems like they are, uh, the person who has the latest and greatest phone is the happiest for a little while. The person who has all kinds of money is happy for as long as the money lasts. But there's a desire that we want to fit in. We want to adapt to the people around us. And the things that we ultimately pursue and the things that we desire kind of leave us wanting more. There's never going to be enough that satiates our desires. And even as we see some of these things, it's even true for matters of our faith. We desire to be loved and accepted by the people who are closest to us. We desire to conform to others where we are taking on their likes and their interests and their beliefs because we want to belong with others. Rather than living distinctly in our neighborhoods and our work and in our families, we ultimately become like the people around us. the more that we pursue our wants, the more that we become like the people around us. What ends up happening is that we end up trusting ourselves more than we trust God. And this is where we find the people of God today in, in Israel. We are at the tail end of the, of the period of judges, uh, where we have, they have, they're looking around the nations around them, and they look at the stability and they look at the security that they are seeing in these other nations, and they're saying, I want that for me. Rewinding a little bit, if you remember from last week, the period of the judges was not a good period for the Israelites. It lasted for 350 years. And it was a cycle of them going from sin and rebellion to God's judgment to the cycle of finding oppression from their sin to, God's, for, to them crying out to God, to them being delivered from their sin, and then they repeat that cycle So for the last 350 years of Israel's history, they have been in an unstable period. So now they see the stability of the nations around them and they are desiring that, they are wanting that, but what they do is they pursue their wants and they never really know what they truly need. This is where we are in our sermon series. Our sermon series is called The Story, where every story, every command, every person in from Genesis to Revelation, all point to the ultimate story of Jesus on the cross. We've been in this series for the last few months, and we started in Genesis, and we are now in 1 Samuel today. Uh, But the last few weeks, we've been focusing on the nation of Israel coming out of the desert, getting a new identity, and how God has been working in the people of Israel and has been uh, guiding them and loving them to a place where he is showing them his faithfulness. Last week we were in the judges at the beginning of the judges, and we were talking about how small steps of disobedience drift our hearts away from God. So today we're looking at the Israelites and we are transitioning away from the judges and into the period of the kings. And the kings are ultimately through or they're pursuing the kings not or because of what they want, not because of what they need. As we've already read in 1 Samuel 8, Samuel is a key person making that transition from judges to the period of kings. He was the last judge, and this again, this period is lasting 350 years. But they are at a, in that cycle, they are in a place of God's deliverance. And so they are able to look around and see what they want. But one of the things that they are wanting is they are not wanting to fall back into that pattern of sin. And I think that that's a good want. I think that's a good desire. But they are, their actions are based on what they de- truly desire. We are the same way, where we pursue what we desire. A text starts in 1 Samuel 8.1, when it says, When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel yet his sons did not walk in his ways but turned aside after gain they took bribes and perverted justice So Samuel has been leading Israel for decades at this point naturally he's getting old and so he's putting his sons in his place to rule after him but clearly Samuel's sons are corrupt they are wicked they are not do they are not living for the Lord And so here the leaders of Israel recognize the pattern of sin, they recognize the pattern of of rebellion the last few centuries, and they want to avoid falling back into another pattern of chaos. So they recognize that with no key person leading the people of Israel, the people are going to do what they want. The People are going to follow their own desires. They are pursuing what feels right to themselves. So they see Samuel's corrupt sons, and they're pretty sure that once Samuel dies, they're going to fall into worse sin and instability than they were before. So they come to Samuel and they propose a different plan in verse 5 Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. So they see the stability, they see the unity, they see the common purpose of the nations around them, and they say, I want that. And they believe that a king is going to lead them into a place of stability and a place of peace. They ultimately want a king because they want to lead Israel to a place of prospering. They believe that once they get that king, all of their problems are going to go away. This is how Samuel responds when he says in verse six. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, "Give us a king to judge us." The people are coming to Samuel and they're making demands of him. They're saying, "You know, hey, Samuel, you're you're pretty great and all, but you know, you're you're getting old. Uh, you know that uh, your your sons are corrupt, and uh, so Samuel, uh, give us a king." That's it. Basically, how it goes, and Samuel's rightly distressed by this. And so, what he does is, rather than blow up at the people for rejecting him, he takes his concerns to the Lord. And it says Samuel prayed to the Lord. And we should see a contrast here. The people were concerned. Both is both Samuel and Israel are concerned for the future of the nation. One party takes desi- take their desires into their own hands coming up with their own solution. And Samuel is concerned also about the the future of the nation. And he puts his concerns and he puts the matters into God's hands, allowing the Lord to speak into the situation. And this is what God says here in verse 7. He says, Obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, they have rejected me from being king over them people are rejecting God's authority for their lives, where they are choosing to not submit themselves to their king in heaven, but they are choosing to submit submit themselves to a king on earth, where they are pursuing their own desires and their wants over what God has for them. The people are ultimately choosing a king because they want significance and they want security in their land. They want to be prosperous. At the heart of this problem is these people are trusting themselves, and they are trusting their wisdom, and they believe that God is not able to or capable to lead them into the future. They are only focused on what they want. But this pattern of rejection is not anything new in the history of Israel. Again, consistently time after time after time, Israel rejects God in every way they turn away from God. They pursue themselves and what they want and what they think that they need. And rather considering what God wants for them, they take matters into their own hands and they demand a king. Don't we do the same thing also? Where the king in our life is not a person that we choose to rule over us, but we choose our desires for wealth. We choose our desires for health. We We choose our desires for power, where all those things become the highest and the ultimate good in our life. And we believe we can attain these things by our own power, by our own strength, by our own wisdom. And we desire to find significance and security in those things. And our hearts through pursuing our own desires, are diverted away from God and onto ourselves where we become the king in our lives, where we submit to our own authority rather than submitting to the authority that God has for us. And I want to say that wealth, health, and power on their own are often good things in our lives, but when they become ultimate, when they are the things that we pursue at the expense of everything else, those are the things that we love most in the world and we're not trusting God, that is when it becomes an issue in our lives. And in that regard, that is how the people are rejecting and denying God's authority over them. And for us, when we are, get to a place where we are constantly rejecting God's authority in our lives, God is eventually going to give us over to the vanity of our own desires. And because we pursue our wants, and our desires over what God has for us, we end up paying for our own selfish pursuits. Rejecting God, uh, going our own way, comes at a cost, as we see in verse 9. Now then, obey their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. What we see is that God doesn't want Israel to fall into a pattern of sin, but he wants them to know what they are signing up for as they are rejecting his authority over them. And he is telling them that they're going to experience heartache and pain, and the thing that they want is actually the thing that is never going to, act to, uh, to to happen. As we see in verse 11, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. So when we pursue the king that we want, we're only going to find that our desires are only going to take more from us and they're never going to give back. Same thing with the Israelites, where in verse 11 it says that he's going to take your sons to lead his military. He's going to take your sons to plow the ground. He's going to take your sons and he's going to put them to his service. The king is also going to take your daughters, and put them to work also. And then he's going to take the best of your farmland, the best of your produce, and he's going to give them to his servants. And then he's going to take the best of your produce, and he's going to give it to his army. He's going to take your servants, what belongs to you, and he's going to take it, he's going to put it to his wants to his desires. And then, of course, he's going to take your flocks, and he's going to take your skills, and he's going to enslave you, and he's going to put you to work meeting his desires. As God is promising his people, all this king that you want is going to do, he's going to take, he's going to take, and he's going to take to serve his own selfish desires. And he will never give back to the people in all of these things. He's going to support his own lavish and selfish lifestyle where everything in the land now belongs to him. He's going to take from the people and he's going to pad the wallets of his friends. And he does this all because of the fact that life is all about him and he is the most important thing in the world. This problem is not just tied to the people of Israel. It's tied to us as well. that the more that we pursue our own desires and delights as king in our life, the more that we don't find freedom that our desires promise us, but it, we actually find bondage. We fall into uh, what it, we fall prey to the case of the grass is always greener on the other side where this idea encapsulates wanting something different than we have because what we have is never good enough. It never brings us the delight that we want. But we look around the people around us and we believe that if we have what they have, then I can be happy. We say things like, once I have better pay or a better job or more stability, then I can be happy. Then I can... Then I can truly live the life that I want to live. Sometimes we say, once I find that relationship and that person that completes me, then I can be taken care of. Then I can be happy. We base our our happiness, we base our life off of the happiness and stabilities of others. We want those things for ourselves. When we look at what others have, we become restless. And as we pursue these desires, as we compare ourselves to others, our desires only take more of our time, they take more of our energy, they take more of our effort to pursue what we want, and we become unhappy in the process. This is where we become bonded to our desires, where we are always just pursuing what we want. Because of The fact that we pursue our desires, this is what God says. He says, you are going to suffer, and you are going to starve. And when that happens, God makes a promise to Israel here in verse 18. And in that day you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves. The Lord will not answer you in that day. What he's saying is this comparison game, this living for your own desires. It's never, you'll never be satisfied. Your desires will never be satiated. It always leaves you wanting and craving more that you can't actually attain. And the more that we pursue our wants, the more we miss out on what we actually need. And that is a king who loves us, a king who cares for us, a king who delights in us, a king who gives his life away that we might live. But for us, the more that we reject God's authority in our lives and pursue our own desires, the more that we find we don't actually have what we need. For the people, rejecting God also means that they are rejecting our identity, and this is revealing that we don't often want to be conformed to God's image. And people's heart become most clear in verse 19 when they say, No, but there shall be a king over us. They are adamant and not only rejecting God's kingship over their life, they are adamant that they are going to get what they want at all costs. But here in verse 20 is where we find the real reason for them rejecting God's authority. And that says, "...that we may also be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles." They desire a king because everyone else has a king. We want to be just like everyone else. We want to live and be conformed to the world around us. We want to look like the nations around us because we see that the grass is greener over in that country versus in our own country. We want a king who fights our battles. Rather than having God fight our battles and God get the glory and God get the praise and the accolades for fighting battles. We want to fight our own battles where we get that glory, where we get that praise, where we get that that admiration from others. We want the glory, and we don't want to give that to God. But all of these desires are rooted in in rejecting our identity, and it's what makes us specifically the people of God, and that is holy. Holy is a, is, a, is, a, is a Christian word that means to be set apart, to be distinct. It doesn't mean separated. But the people are supposed to be distinct in the world that they live in. But they want to fit in and they want to be part of the crowd. In other words, they want to be conformed to the world. They want to look like the world. They want to sound like the people around them. They want to be in every way around them when we are conformed to the people around us, if you were to look at our lives, we couldn't tell any difference between God's children and the children of the world. We would believe the same things, we pursue the same things, we desire the same things. And in every way, being conformed to the world greatly limits how God is going to be able to work in our lives and limiting people to come to know Him and to, to have a relationship with. I think of a time in my own life when I was working at Sears, and I had this passion where I'm going to go in, and I'm going I'm to live for Jesus, I'm going to preach the gospel, I'm going to do all kinds of uh, Christian things, and people are going to come to know Jesus. But what I quickly realized was the guys that I worked with were quite crass. They wanted nothing to do with God. And because of my natural tendency to please people, I found that I wanted to be accepted by them. I found that I wanted to belong with them. And it didn't take long for me to look like them at my work. I started talking like them. I began adopting the same interests as them. And then the longer that I worked with these guys, I found that my work ethic reflected their work ethic. And I did this because I wanted to be accepted. I did this, and I ultimately became conformed to who they were. The irony is that as I wanted to belong and be accepted by these people, the more that I conformed to them, the more that they actually rejected me as a person, and the less that they wanted to to actually know who God was. I understand that living for God is often hard, Sometimes it feels like it's easier to be like the people around us and easier to be conformed to the images of others rather than to rest in the identity that God has given us. Being conformed to the world, we look for acceptance, but we only find rejection. When we conform to the world, we see that God lets us make choices, but we'll have but we will have consequences. As we see in verse 22, And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey their voice and make them a king. Samuel said to the men of Israel, Go, every man, to his city. So the people are sent home as God selects a king for the people. Now, I want to note that they were demanding a king from Samuel, but God is choosing to select a king for the, from them. So he is not rejected is planned for them, but in all of these things, we this is where we find the very first king of Israel, Saul. And in these short verses, in verses nine, one, and two, it, uh, we it teach us what these verses teaches us that that Saul represents the very best of what the people desire. As we see in verses one and two, he's exceptionally wealthy. He's exceptionally handsome and healthy. And then finally, he is tall and he is powerful. Since the people wanted a king, God gave him a king from the people for the people. He represented everything that the people wanted in a leader. He was wealthy, he was healthy, and he was powerful. That's what the people desired and they are thinking that this king is going to bring them that stability and that peace. They think that he's going to unify the nation in profound ways. As we look at the life of Saul, he's the kind of guy that everyone would vote for. Everyone would follow. He was a leader. And as you look at Saul's reign through uh, the rest of 1 Samuel, you see that his reign starts pretty decently. He accomplishes some key victories for the people of Israel. He brings the stability that the people desire. But looking back at verses 1 and 2, there are descriptions about Saul's character, and the text omits something important. And that is that Saul's character was devoid of all spiritual and moral strength. Because his, he lacked that moral character, his reign was going to end in disaster. He pursued his own selfish wants and his own desires, intentionally rejecting what God had intended for his people. So we see that God lets us make our own choices, but he redeems our choices, bringing about his will in our lives. We may reject God, but the truth is he never rejects us. He continues to work in our life, to continue to move in our life. He gives the people what they want with the King Saul, but he is highlighting what the people actually need, and that is King Jesus. Through this story, we see God working to establish an even greater to come and through, through King Jesus. And this is where we find the gospel in 1 Samuel 8, where God continues to work and move behind the scenes, all showing us what we really need. And as King Jesus, he is ruling over all history. From beginning to end, he sees it all. There's nothing that surprises him. He's not surprised when the people come demanding a king. He's not surprised at the fall of Rome in uh, in 410 AD. He's not surprised by the kingdom's falling. He's not surprised by what has happened In our country in the last two years. There's nothing outside of God's reign and rule that does not surprise him. But in spite of all of that, he takes on human flesh and he steps into our lives where he takes our sins on himself, where he dies so that everyone can live. And then Rather than taking everything for himself, King Jesus gives us everything to experience life, to experience an abundant life. Not only is he the only true great king reigning over all history, he is reigning over your lives. He is reigning over the moments of just pure joy where you are coming to see uh, the, the moments where you come to see and find a spouse, when you have children, he's reigning over those joyous moments. He's also reigning over the moments in your life where things are not so good, where you are dealing with depression, where you are dealing with infertility, where you are dealing with all of the areas in, your, in our lives that we don't often want to talk about. He is reigning in both over all history and he is reigning over our lives as well giving us what giving us his life and so the areas where we are experiencing discouragement he is ruling over those, he is ruling over the areas where we are experiencing love or loss of love and respect from our friends and family because of our faith he is what our hearts truly need and only in him do we find our, only in him do we find satisfaction and our desires satiated. So what we see throughout this whole sermon is that what we need is not conformity to the world, but conformity to Jesus. So conforming to Jesus brings us to a life of abundance and stability, where he, where he is the thing that we are longing for. Paul tells us in Romans 12 that we are not to be conformed to the world but be transformed by the renewing of our mind where we can know God's good and perfect will, not just for history, but we can know what God's good and perfect will is for our lives on a daily basis. But this only happens when we, are, when we give our hearts and our lives over into surrender to Jesus. When we are formed to the image of Jesus, that is where we find our identity is rooted and established as God's children. And the result is that we have an abundant life and God's power reigning in us. So as we go home this morning, I have a couple takeaways from 1 Samuel 8. The first is this, we are to place our wants and our desires at the feet of King Jesus. Many of us are constantly seeing our desires ruling and reigning over our lives. We desire better marriages. We desire better paying jobs. We desire better lives for ourselves and for our families. And these are certainly good things that we desire. But I know in my own life, my problem isn't that these desires just end there, but that I continue to pursue good things without ever bringing the Lord into the conversation. And for us this morning, there are two examples that Jesus gives us. The first is, is in the Sermon on the Mount, when he's teaching us how to pray. He shows us what it looks like to put our plans and desires before him. And in, that, in the Lord's Prayer, he tells us to pray, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He doesn't teach us to pray, my will be done, my kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. But he also demonstrates what this looks like in the Garden of Gethsemane, hours before he's facing the cross. He is praying, not my wills, but yours be done, Heavenly Father. He is submitting his will, he's submitting his desire before God, and as a result, he ends up dying on the cross so that we might live. And it's through his resurrection that we are found that he's that we find that he had greater glory and honor because he pursued God's God the Father's wills and wants and desires above his own. So for us this morning, it looks like first uh, we are submitting our plans and our desires before God through prayer, but we are prioritizing His will above our own. And I want to encourage you just to make this part of your daily prayers where you are praying and you are submitting your desires and your wants to God on a daily basis. Where we are surrounding ourselves with what God wants us before the King. Where we know that He loves us. Where we know that He cares for us. Where we know that He has given everything in His life for us to live. And the more that we do this, the more that we see that only King Jesus desires good for us. We can do this when we take out our calendar as we see upcoming events, as we see meetings, as we see things happening, and just submitting our plans and our desires before the Lord. Invite our Holy Spirit, Invite the Holy Spirit to show us and reveal where our lives are, where we are living for ourselves and not living for God. Let me just say, God doesn't want to shut down our plans and our desires. Rather, God wants us to enjoy life, but we find greater enjoyment in him when we delight in him above all things. In fact, Psalm 34 tells us that when we delight in the Lord, he gives us the desires of our hearts. When we submit our desires to God, he's only going to magnify those desires that are rooted in him. He wants us to see a life of joy, a life of peace, a life of stability that only comes from Him. We have to submit our desires to Him. So it raises a question for us this morning. How are you conforming your desires to God's desires? The second takeaway I have for you is that we have to lean into our identity in Christ. When we lean into our identity in Christ, we are no longer pursuing our own desires, and we we don't want to be conformed to the world, but we want to be conformed to the image of Christ, proclaiming His glory in every area of our lives. This is where we find what Paul tells us in Romans 1.16, where he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. One of the values that we have here at Restoration is that we are a gospel people means that we allow the power of the gospel to restore us from pursuing our own selfish desires, proclaiming God's goodness to the world around us. When we lean into our identity, we, are, we don't allow the opinions of others to shape what we do. We, don't, we are not afraid of what they think of us because we know that we are simply living to glorify King Jesus in our lives. This means we don't have to please others because God is pleased in us. We don't have to fear what others think because the highest king has welcomed us into a relationship with him where he delights in us and we don't have to strive and we don't have to earn his love, but he lavishly gives us his love because we are his children. We are secure in our relationship with God. The more that we lean into our identity, the more we are going to find people are asking, why do you live this way? Why are you different? And resting in our identity is leaning into those conversations and saying, I am like this because of what King Jesus has done in my life. I am patient because because King Jesus has given me his patience. We are to, to proclaim what Christ has done in our lives as we are being conformed to his image. And Jesus tells us that when we abide in him, he abides in us. This abiding and leading in our identity only comes as we are intentional to spend time with him through his word, through prayer, through the people of God, through all kinds of different ways and methods that we are intentional to, to spend time with God. The more that we spend time with God, the more that we find we are going to be conformed to the image of Christ, and the more that we're going to find just how much God loves us, how much God cares for us, and the more that people on the outside are going to be drawn in. It raises the question for us. How are you living for Jesus in your life? Restoration Church, no matter what you're facing, no matter what is going on in your lives, God loves you beyond comprehension. He wants you to find a life of abundance, a life of joy that only comes through pursuing and delighting in Him. Will you do that this morning? Will you pursue Him above all things?